0: Hey, friends, I'm Nikki Smith, your host here at A Heart That Beats for Home, the podcast where we're ditching filters and diving headfirst into the raw beauty of all things home. Now, I am no expert when it comes to this whole parenting and marriage dance. I'm simply a gal who's been riding the mom roller coaster for 22 years and a wife still untangling the mystery of it all 25 years after saying I do. My goal is to bring you unapologetically messy and boldly genuine conversations about cultivating strong families. We're gonna laugh, possibly cry, and straight talk about the joy and chaos that comes within the four walls that we call home. No judgment and certainly no perfection, just real talk from my heart, a heart that beats for home. Let's dive in. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us here at A Heart That Beats for Home. I'm super excited today to dive in to part two of a conversation we started last week when we started uh, chatting about how to build relationships with our teen and young adults, something that at times can feel stressful and overwhelming. But I believe if we really lean into this relationship building with our young adults and teens, that it will pay great dividends into the future. And so last week, we were able to talk about the first first two points, which was my need to build or my need or want to build relationship with my teen is greater than my need or want to be right. And that's a hard one to kind of digest sometimes, but I hope that that was helpful for you. And then the second one was being able to not take things personally and actually learning the art of underreacting to a lot of things that come at us with our teens and just how that creates a safe space and an environment for them to want to come to us. So this week, we're going to tackle the last three and hope that it brings you some insight and some takeaways that maybe you'll be able to implement with your family, your teens, your young adults. And again, just a good place to do some self reflecting. I will tell you that I'm sure this is going to be something that comes up for me. We Week to week as we prepare these notes for each podcast episode. But as I'm taking notes and I'm thinking through personal stories, it's a good reminder that there's always room for improvement and that so many of these things, although we know it's the right way, they take effort, they take discipline, and they take a lot of redirecting and um, humility and just coming back and trying to get these right. And so again, this is not me coming to you having it figured all out. It's me coming to you With just a couple decades of experience and knowing that when I've done it well, these are the things that were the core recipe that helped us get to the point of building relationship and moving away from conflict. And when I didn't, I can almost always identify which one of these I neglected in my communication with my children. All right, let's dive right in. So number three is live by example. And if there is ever a time in our lives that this is important, I mean, I think it's always important, but specifically when we have teens, I am telling you what, if there is a group on the planet that can spot a fraud, I believe that it's gonna be teens and young adults. And so as we are parenting our children and as we're trying to build relationship, I just, I feel like if we're not living by example, we are losing a lot of credibility and we're severing relationships There's a quote that I read that says, you can't impress what you don't possess. And I think that is so, so perfect for when we're talking about living by example. I cannot impress on my kids the importance of guidelines of behavior, how I speak or how they speak if I'm not possessing those same attributes in my own life. If I'm not living by example then the weight that I'm trying to impress on them, the importance of these rules or these guidelines or boundaries or things that I am trying to convey to them are are good for their life or beneficial for their life, how are they going to believe that it's true if I'm not possessing those in my own life? And any of us that have been in any kind of work situation or volunteer situation, when you have somebody in authority over you, how annoying is it? When you have somebody in authority telling you to do something that you know full well, they have no intentions of doing themselves, they've never done themselves, or they just don't have the desire to change. To me, that is the quickest way to lose credibility in leadership. And I think as parents, we are obviously in leadership. And if we really want buy-in for our kids on the reasons that we say, these are the things that we think are best for you, Guys, we got to be doing them in our own lives. And I was really convicted of this this Christmas coming into the new year and just trying to think of different things that I needed to adjust, things that I wanted to work on in 2024. One of the things that I just felt kind of heavy on my spirit was just my lack of discipline when it comes to my phone use in general, but specifically my phone use at night. And I have gotten in the bad habit. My docking station for my Apple Watch and my iPhone are just right there on my nightstand. And so they're not even a full arm extension away. And although I tend to get into bed and dock them, I am just really guilty of sitting there, whether I'm doing just book reading or Bible reading and constantly reaching over and grabbing it because I hear a notification or I see a screen light up or mom brain is like, oh, schedule the doctor's appointment. And so you quick go to your phone to make a note or you didn't pay the bill. So you pull up the banking app and you pay the bill or you check the emails. you end up on Instagram and then you scroll and it just becomes something that you intended to grab that phone for, for a real quick task that can lead into 20, 30, 40, 50 minutes of deep diving and looking on Instagram and Facebook and all of the things that are just not beneficial. And so I just really started to feel like that was something I needed to get figured out in my own life. I need to get it away from an arm length. I need to get it across a bedroom or something where it's not so easy to just instinctively grab it to do the thing, then get stuck on this road of wandering. The other thing that really came to mind on this, this quote too, when I was preparing some of this, you can't impress what you don't possess. Really convicted me that I have teenagers that have cell phones, and I have a lot of ideas that I think they need to be implementing into their use of them so that it's a healthy boundary. And starting to think about our 14 year old getting a a smartphone in two years when he turns 16. One of the rules is you don't have your phone in your room, it docks outside, it charges outside of your room. And just thinking through, how can I present that to them or to my kids as this is really, really important for you? There's just no need for phones in the bedroom. And then I have my phone right next to my bed and I'm on it nonstop at night. And I just started to think like, Nick, you got to really pull this together and you got to figure out how to get this under control so that in two years, I have two full years before he turns 16, but I want to be able implement that rule and for him to say, well, of course that makes sense because that's what other people in this house do. That's what mom and dad do. That's just like, it's a family rule. It's not just, you don't trust me. I'm a bad kid. You don't think I can handle it. So I have to have a totally different rule than everybody else does. And of course we could argue that parents have different reasons and rights and responsibilities and that there has to be, you know, kids have to earn trust with all of this stuff. But this is one to me that I'm like, it's a simple question. Would it be better for me not to have my phone in my bedroom? It's a quick answer. Yes, it would be better for me. Then is it worth the effort and the discipline to start to implement that in my own life so that when I introduce that rule, which can be a hard rule for teens, that's a hard thing, it just makes sense and it builds trust and it builds relationship. And so that's just one specifically that I'm trying to get good at. There are so many more that we could go into when it comes to character qualities, when it comes to patience and restraint and joy and tone of voice and all of these things that as parents, I feel like we're constantly harping on our kids for, you know, you don't talk to me that way. But then two seconds later, I can turn and talk to a child and have a very cutting snippy voice because I'm frustrated. It's just trying to bring that all into light and being able to be humble and to ask ourselves, am I living in the same way that I'm expecting my children to live? Annie Downs says, when we parent ourselves well, we parent others well. And that's really my goal in parenting is that when I can learn to parent myself well, when I can start to exhibit the things in myself that I want to impress on my kids, I'm able to parent them well. And so I think that's just a really good thing for us to come back to and ask ourselves, am I parenting myself well right now? And if if not, what do I need to change and adjust so that I can parent these sweet kiddos well? And then the other part of this living by example that I think is worth taking a, a minute to chat about is we need to live by example when it comes to asking for forgiveness. And again, I think we can get into sometimes just the the ins and out of every day. And there can be a lot that happens that's frustrating and a lot of things when a mom has to raise her voice or we get a little snippy or all of the different things It's easy to justify it all in the name of busy and hurry, and then there's much greater things that we can find ourselves having a little bit of what I like to refer to as the mom guilt quilt. When you crawl into bed at the end of the night and you pull those covers up and you just feel like it's a mom guilt quilt that you're tucking yourself in under and you run through all of the... I should have, could have, would have. If I would have handled that differently, I'm really upset with myself for saying that or I didn't respond the right way. That's all real. And I think a lot of times that's something that just needs to be confessed between me and the Lord. But there are definitely times when I need to confess to my kids. I need to be able to get out of bed, to walk into that bedroom, or to make a point to have a conversation in the morning when things are fresh and attitudes are renewed and to be able to say, hey, I really messed up, you know, when we had that conversation and I blew up at you or when I raised my voice or when I cut you off and I wouldn't let you finish what you were saying, you know, there's the list goes on and on, you guys, right? The things that we could do different and better. But when we are able to humble ourselves and approach our kids with humility and say, I handled that wrong and I was really coming down on you because of the way that you XYZ and when I responded with that same behavior that was wrong of me that's hypocritical that was me exhibiting a loss of patience or a loss of control and those are things that I don't tolerate from you and so I need to not tolerate them from myself and so I'm really sorry that I acted that way I have found that every every time I mean I can't I honestly can't think of a time where I haven't come to my kids with that and the response back from them not immediately been one that matches the humility to say thank you mom I'm I'm also really sorry I'm really sorry that I was disrespectful to you I'm really sorry that I said that or I'm really sorry that I did that I was wrong I just think that we have to model that for our kids I want my kids to go out of my home and into the workplace and into school into you know sporting things in their life where they have coaches and teachers and bosses and superiors and to be able to humbly admit when they mess up, to humbly accept, okay, I didn't handle that the best and I'm going to take ownership for it. I'm going to do better because that is not who I am and that's not how I should be behaving. And I think when we... We get a little prideful sometimes as parents, and we think, well, if I, if I admit fault, then I'm losing some ground as the authority figure. I believe the exact opposite is true. I think when we are humble before our kids, they see that we are broken humans. It does so many things. I think it gives permission for them to admit that they also are human, and it softens walls. It leads by example, creates a space where we're able to truly authentically be who we are. But we also have to hold ourselves to a level of, I'm going to have to take ownership of stupid mistakes that I make, of loss of temper and all of the things. And so when we live by example, that goes both ways. It goes by living by example in a positive way, by doing the things that we're asking them to do, and also living by example in humility when we mess up. And so that's number three, living by example. Number four is connect more than you correct. And this can be hard for me. I mean, I think I've said that with all of these. Every one of these can be hard for me. None of these are necessarily nature. They're not the ones that come naturally. I think these are all things that we have to fight against, right? We have to fight against the need to be right. We have to fight against overreacting. We have to fight against living by example. I have to fight against my desire to correct over my need And desire to connect with my children, especially because I am in the work realm of we do a lot of growing and reading and learning. I can tend to John Maxwell my kids to death, and no kid wants to be John Maxwell all day. If you don't know who John Maxwell is, he's a leadership expert who I really have enjoyed. I've read a lot of his books, and there's so much good content, and it's very easy for us to have a lot of ideas and read a lot of things and then just kind of word vomit out to our kids all of these ways to correct them. It's it's nagging is what it really can be. And although all of the things that we're saying probably hold truth and they hold weight, it's not always the right time. Sometimes our need, mine specifically, to just correct, correct, correct is innate. And I have to work to break that down. And again, kind of, you know, our preferences versus our principles, which one of these things are actually worth giving words to? Which one of these things, whether it be things like coming behind a kid on a computer and talking about why did you use that font? Why did you do that? I would do this. You should change that. Have you thought about? There's all of these things where we can constantly use what maybe we could even say our wisdom and our knowledge as nagging. And sometimes we just have to ask ourselves, do I use my voice right now to correct and to nag or do I use my voice to just connect with my kid? The part that goes right along with this is our kids need us to be in Conversation with them that is dialogue, not monologue. It needs to be a two way conversation, specifically as our kids get older. And so often it's easy for me as a mom to literally start running on the monologue. You know, you just start basically talking to yourself about all of the things and all of the things that the family's not doing. There are so many funny reels right now out on Instagram about. When mom gets into her mom rant stage and right, it's just the whole I'm the only one that does anything around here and nobody even cares or nobody can even see what needs to be done. And, you know, we can get into such a a running monologue (laughs) of all of the things that does not build connection. What builds connection is dialogue. When you take that same feeling, which is often valid, that mom, nobody even notices what needs to be done, and you turn that into a dialogue that maybe sounds something instead of a rant like, hey, guys, I'm feeling like I'm drowning in here. The kitchen is kind of a mess. There's a lot of stuff throughout the first floor. Would you guys all be willing to just take a few minutes and help me so that we can get this done so that we'd be able to sit down and play a card game? Or when we sit down for dinner, it's just a little less hectic. And having this dialogue with them, it just, it's different. Dialogue sounds different different. Dialogue sounds like you are part of this. You're not on the outside just being screamed at. Again, just a good thing for me to self-evaluate and say, am I running a monologue right now or am I actually dialoguing with my family? A nagging voice never builds relationship. In fact, it creates unbelievable walls for relationship not to happen. And the Bible has a lot to say about nagging. I was actually joking last night. I'm reading through the Proverbs 12 times this year is one of my goals. And so I just simply read the Proverb that matches the day of the month. I was reading that and I looked over at my husband in bed and I go, I'm kind of annoyed that Proverbs talks so much about a nagging wife. I'm like, I'm looking for the verses about the nagging husbands. But I think as women, we are wired more emotionally. We use our words more to convey how we're feeling. And although that can be a comfort and a blessing, a lot of times our words have the opportunity to bring life like the Bible talks about, but it also has the opportunity to bring death. And I think nagging is obviously something that we struggle with. Otherwise, I don't think it would be mentioned in the Bible over and over again. I just, I know that I have to keep a tight lock on my mouth. I have to be conscious of this in my day to day so that I don't turn into that nag. The other thing is, you know, just, nagging is different than disciplining none of this is me saying you can't you can't speak into your kids life you can't correct we have to correct it's we're called to correct but we're called to build relationship also and i think when we have relationship we are so much more effective in our ability to correct What are the things that you can do to really connect with your kids so that in those times of connecting, you're building relationship and often conversation flows out of those. Another quote that I love that I came upon is by a psychologist, Dr. Judy Carrington, and she said, kids are not attention seeking, they are connection seeking. And I really do believe that our kids want to connect. They have a deep need to connect. They have a need for relationship and a place of belonging. I want that place of my kids' greatest fulfillment and greatest place of connection to be happening in our home. And I think sometimes we see it as attention-seeking when the kids are out of control or they're doing crazy things or you know, we feel like we have to constantly be correcting them. But a lot of times I think those outbursts are are kids actually looking to connect with us? I don't think they're looking for us to, oh, look at her, look at her. What they're actually saying is, I want you to see me. I want you to see me. I want you to connect with me. I want you to sit with me. I want you to talk to me. I want you to listen to me. And when we can look at it through that lens, we can take some of the behavior and see it a little bit differently differently. In my life, I have tried to find, and again, for those of you that are listening with young, with a bunch of young kids, this is so much harder to do when our kids are, are really little and there's a lot of them. But as my kids have gotten older and into these teen years, one thing that I have really, really just tried to do is look for ways to connect with each of them. It's really important, and one of my daughters brought this up when I was asking her some questions specifically about connecting with them. She just said, I think one of the ways that has allowed us to really connect is that you make what's important to me important to you. This goes for marriage too. A lot of times where if it's not important to me, I'm just not gonna care about it. I'm just not gonna invest in it. But when it comes to relationship, there are times when what's important to that person, it needs to be important to me. I could not tell you one single thing about basketball. I couldn't have told you a travel, a carry, a, an over and back. I couldn't have told you one single thing about basketball eight years ago. But when it became really important to my daughter, it had to become important to me. And my husband would argue and say, I still don't know what those things are. I'll go head to head with them. We can have a competition. Maybe we'll do it live on the air. You know, you you have to take an interest in the things that are important to the people that you love, whether it be simply crawling into bed with the kid that loves to just chit chat and that always has a lot to say, or is it Engaging with their friends. If they have a friend group that they're really close with, it's important for you to get to know those friends. It creates an atmosphere where your kids know your friends are important to me. Your relationships are important to me. I want to care for your friends. I want to be invested in your friends. And as just, I have more one-on-one time with each of these kids, it's really trying to find what do they love? So obviously with one, there's the basketball and there's teen years. There was a lot of traveling to and from tournaments and just beautiful times of connecting on flights, laughter. And I still have such sweet memories that I could go back and tell you exact conversations that happened or things that we talked about, our heartaches that we you know, laid in hotel beds and and shared with each other on and just building that connection with my little guy. I am just so grateful for his love of golf because I'm not a golfer. I'm learning again, the terminology of golf. I don't necessarily plan to become a great golfer, but I am a darn good caddy. I am a darn good cart driver, a club hander, And in those times of just spending those three, four hours on the golf course together, there is a lot of connection that happens. Maybe it's a coffee date or going thrifting with another or taking a kid on a work trip or a road trip that you have. And it's in those times of connecting that relationship is built and it's in those times that real conversations happen because there's trust being built. There's shoulder to shoulder. I will tell you just from my own experience, if you have young teens, it very seldom in my opinion is super effective to say, Hey, we're going to meet on Thursday night and we're going to sit across the table and talk about this really hard thing. I have found that shoulder to shoulder instead of face to face With teens works so much better. It feels safer. I think it's a little bit less vulnerable. It allows them to be a little bit more honest. And so just think about how can I get shoulder to shoulder with my kid? Can I take a walk? Same thing with your spouse. It is hard sometimes to sit face to face and have to hash stuff out. But there is something about walking in your neighborhood shoulder to shoulder where you're together and you're having great conversation, but you're moving. There's just safety in that for some reason. And so if you're really struggling to connect with your child, Maybe think through what are their hobbies? What are the things that we can do where we're in a car, shoulder to shoulder, or we're walking on a golf course or shopping, you know, all those different things that you can do so that you can really have those opportunities to connect with your kids. And we create opportunity for those alone conversations when we find ourselves doing what they love. That has just been something that I am so grateful for. And then very lastly, before we move on to the fifth point, is when we're looking to build connection with our kids, sometimes we have to stop and ask ourselves, do they really want this advice or are they just needing to vent? I know sometimes for me when I'm having a day like that and I just feel negative or discouraged or overwhelmed I need to be able just to kind of rant about all these things that I'm feeling or after a conflict, be able to just kind of offload all of that off of my chest, off of my shoulders, out of my brain, and just move on. Most often when I'm venting, I already know what I need to do. But venting is just sometimes something that gets it off of my chest and allows me to move forward. If somebody always comes back to me with all the ways that they can fix that or do this, this, or this... It often is super annoying, if I'm being totally honest. And so I think with our kids, when we feel like they are venting and they have these major problems, they're just going on and on about, we need to ask them, hey, are you just needing to vent to get this off of your shoulder and you kind of already have a good plan in your mind of what you know you need to do? Or are you looking for me to sit with you and kind of talk through this and maybe give you some advice? I think it's important to get that permission because then, it again, it creates this relationship where they know it's okay if I say this. It's okay if I'm honest. It's okay if I express my frustrations about this thing because I know that it's not always going to be, again, John Maxwelling my kids to death. It's not always going to be, here's the next three steps you need to take or whatever it might be. But there are times then where your kids will say, no, I do need help processing this. I mean, there's been so many times with a kid when they are just wow, life is feeling heavy to them and they do need to vent, but then they need some correction of like, let's course correct here and figure out what does this look like and what are some some simple steps that you can put into place to move forward and move out of this place of frustration. I think just being cautious of that, that we, as the kids get older and they're becoming adults, we we simply ask, are you just needing to vent or are you wanting some advice? And then honoring whatever it is that they say. And number five, the final tip is parenting per your child and showing up for their individual needs. I know it can be really, really easy as we have especially multiple kids to just try to put everybody into like, this is my parenting box and this is how we parent. These are The things that we do socially, this is what we do academically, this is our rules and regulations, these are the boundaries that we have, this is, you know, how we expect your personality to kind of evolve. When you have multiple kids and as they start to get a little bit older and they have a little bit more of their own thoughts and desires and passions I have found that that is super ineffective when I expect three people with three completely different wiring from God, all with different strengths, different weaknesses, different insecurities, different. Giftings, all of those things to be able to do the exact same thing and flourish. I heard a pastor say, I think it maybe was TD Jakes back in the day, he was talking about recognizing seeds of passion in your kids. And that when your kids are even really little, and I can attest to this, when I go back and I watch home videos of whether the kids were toddlers or early grade school or later grade school, I can absolutely see things in them that now it just makes me smile because I'm like, oh my goodness, I see these things now on a big scale as big kids with big dreams and big passions. And those seeds were already there, whether it be their little personality traits or the things that they were drawn to or the things that got their attention. And when we can hone in on those seeds in our children and be able to nurture each one of them individually in their gifting and in their strengths, I think we get such better results. And if you look at you know, even if you're a gardener or you are out planting flowers in your garden and you get a whole bunch of seeds, there are super important instructions on each of those that are like shade, part shade, full sun, water often, don't water very often, sandy soil, moist soil, all of these different things that for plants, if we don't look specifically at what their needs are and what actually allows them to flourish, because, right, that's your goal when you're planting a garden, Is that you don't just get plants, that you get flourishing plants, that they produce a ton of crop, that they're beautiful and they're full color. And when we think about our kids, I mean, isn't that our ultimate goal as parents that I want my parent garden with these children I want them to all be flourishing. I want them to be reaching full potential. I don't want one to flourish because the recipe that we chose in our parenting box was perfect, full sun, lots of water, but the personality that was full shade, sandy soil is barely hanging on because they weren't being nurtured in the way that they really needed to be grown or nurtured. Just looking at that as we parent and saying, how do we need to parent kind of individually in some of these bigger things, things like academics, rules and boundaries, what their social life looks like, their personalities and their giftings, how they serve, how they are given just tasks and responsibilities around the house. Now, that doesn't mean that sometimes we don't have to do things that aren't most comfortable for us. So this is not talking about creating a life of comfort and there's never struggle. But I think that there are so many things when looking specifically the two that come up to me are rules and boundaries and academically, and I think spiritually, too. I think it's easy for us spiritually to say, you know, this is what we do. This is how we do it. There's different personalities, a kid that might be super excited, really ready to pray at the meal every single night, another kid that might be really hard for them and deciding, am I going to push, push, push on that because it's how we do it? Or am I going to cultivate the seeds in that child's heart to build their confidence in the things of the Lord and let them do it in a little quieter way or a milder way. And then this one over here that has been a, kind of an evangelist since they were two years old, that has no problem walking up to strangers and is totally comfortable making conversation and being charismatic to let them kind of take the reins in some of those things. And again, it's not ignoring the need for growth in areas, but it's not shoving everybody into a one size fits all box with rules and boundaries. Again. Our kids don't have the same struggles. Our kids don't have the same desires or the same sin patterns. And if we simply parent with one set of rules and one set of boundaries, I don't think everybody is going to flourish the best that they could in this garden of our family. So really just taking some inventory of that and asking myself occasionally when there's something that just seems not to be working or an area where I'm getting a lot of rub and I'm not seeing growth in a child is to ask myself, Are they in a position that their root system is being nourished? Are they in a position that the amount of water, the amount of sun, the amount of soil that they have that I'm providing for them is giving them an opportunity to grow their strongest root system and to really flourish as they grow? And sometimes we just have to admit, no, I'm not and I need to help them here, or I need to remove them out of that academic situation and put them in this one, or I need to adjust some of the rules or boundaries that worked for the other but aren't working for this one, and just being in tuned and asking God to give you wisdom as you look to see what those things are, being able to really hone in on the heart, the wiring of each child, and being able to see them for who they are, Obviously, there are times when the whole family just needs to get on board and it's like, this is just the way that we're doing it. We are fitting into this box because it's the only way that we can get this thing done or that this is going to logistically work. But when it comes to some of the bigger things with our kids, being able to sit and listen and hear their insecurities and hear their fears and hear their excitement and hear what really just gets them motivated and inspired and then try to create a life that aligns with that for them so that they really can flourish. so grateful that I decided to turn that into two different episodes because that was a lot to digest. It's my prayer right now that as you leave here, that you're not feeling discouraged or overwhelmed, but instead that you're feeling encouraged I just challenge you to find one or two small things that you can do to start to implement change if you are really finding friction in the relationships in your home, whether that be with your parenting, in your marriage, or maybe even relationships that stretch outside of the four walls that we call home. For me, my kids and my husband are the relationships that I most deeply want to be healthy and I want them to be flourishing. And I want the people around me to be able to step into their full potential because. I see them, I love them where they're at, and I'm able to come alongside of them in a healthy way. And so friends, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you for the work you're doing. I'm proud of you for being here and wanting to grow and to learn. I'm humbled to be able to be doing it alongside of you. And so with that, you guys, we are going to wrap it up. Thanks so much for being here for another week on A Heart That Beats for Home. We'll see you here, same place, same time next week. Until then, friends, take care.